everybody. Welcome to Compte, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. This is Dre, and I'm very excited to have you on this journey today. We are having a very, very unique topic. It's around the real estate industry and the housing movement. Um, I brought two lovely humans with me, but before we go in, I want to do some quick housekeeping. So in spirit of this episode, the Employee of the day will be Mark Dimas, spelled M-A-R-K-D-I-M-A-S. Mark Dimas is basically the top real estate agent in, well, the top Latino real estate agent in the country. He's based out of Houston, and he was named the top Latino real estate agent again last year. And he is in a specific region where he's grown up in Houston. He's from Houston. And he is one of the most well-sought-out real estate agents moving multi-million and billion-dollar properties. And it's very inspirational for a community like Houston just due to the fact of strong Mexican and Chicano roots. And it's just very important to have that visibility. Um, So for those of you looking for inspiration, Mark Dimas is definitely one of them. So going into why Mark Dimas is such a unicorn in this industry, under the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics for 2017, for the entire real estate and rental and leasing industry, 82.2% are white in the entire industry. That's all employees across all levels, as well as only 10.6% are black. 4.2% are Latino or Latinx, and 16.6% are Asian. Now, that's a bit troubling because we all need housing. We all need homes. And this isn't proportionate of um, the populations based on race and and ethnicity in the United States. And then there's there's a few more stuff. So I received some stuff on Forbes. There's an article called Why the Real Estate Industry is a Diversity Champion. And it, there's some strong pushes for women and LGBT folks in the industry, but for some reason, race and intersectionality in in doing that has been very ignored, and that's kind of dangerous to ignore those experiences. As well as um, when we talk about the, there's an article also on the real deal, real estate's diversity problem, and for New York City specifically, the um, where I live. For the senior level of the real estate industry, 86% are white, and only 22% of those leaders are women. So that kind of brings a pretty dangerous reality all across our country. And I brought these two humans together today because um, I have we have a real estate eight, um, broker here with us and an organizer for the housing movement because I thought that it didn't make sense to have these conversations siloed. A lot of times we don't have these conversations together, but I think a huge problem of why we are where we're at is because there's a lack of representation in the industry altogether. So that means there's a lack of voices and perspectives and narratives happening and there's a disconnect and that leads into an issue where tons of communities are displaced and tons of people are not really a part of the market like they should be because we all need homes. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, um, tell them, tell us what their names, how they identify um, ethnically and culturally, and what they do for a living. 
Hi, Dre. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. My name is Ryan Long. I'm a licensed associate real estate broker with Compass, and I work with luxury properties in Manhattan. Woo! <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Estefania Trujillo. I am an organizer with Flatbush Tenant Coalition, and I identify as a Latina, um, but I do recognize that because I have lighter skin, I have privileges. Okay. So I want to start with, because I think people may have a perception of what you guys do, but they don't specifically know. So I'll start with Ryan. What do you do? And how did you get into what you do? (laughs) So as a real estate broker, what I do and as an entrepreneur kind of encompasses working with buyers and sellers of co-ops, condos, and townhouses in Manhattan. Um, I have to market my business. I have to do the administrative elements of running a business where it's planning for sales and growth and marketing, um, being a leader for my team. I have uh, two other agents on my team that I work with and mentor them to grow their business and become powerful leaders in the community. Um, Yeah, I do a lot of uh, analysis of financial documents, taking care of my clients' processing of board packages and applications for purchases, giving them advice on building financials and mortgages, things of that nature. Nice. And I got into real estate after I moved to New York in 2011. After working in marketing in the D.C. area, I brought that career to New York and decided that it just wasn't for me. There was a lot of narratives that had to be crafted and things that weren't really in integrity with the work that I wanted to produce for clients. So I got into dog walking, strangely, from a friend (laughs) of a friend. Yes, very different from marketing. And uh, that brought me into these amazing multi-million dollar homes on Central Park West. And shortly after, I met some real estate brokers who weren't being their best sel- their best selves. And I saw how much money they were making and how successful they were. And I thought to myself, I'm smarter than these people and I'm nicer than them. So I can definitely be successful in that business. And if anyone's ever tried to get the real estate license, it's relatively easy, although it provides zero training. So... I got my real estate license over the course of about two months, and five years later, here I am. Well, I've heard you're pretty much a badass in the field. Like, you're out here just selling (laughs) homes. Like, you're like, look at me. Come over here. I'm going to just bust out, like, new home here. Um, So amazing work um, in the five years. Thank Um, you. And Ms. Trujillo, tell us a bit more about what do you do? What does that entail? Yes. So um, I'm an organizer of Flatbush Tenant Coalition. There's... um, like five organizers. Um, so basically the goal of our our work is that um, we build power with the tenants that we work with in the communities. Um, and through that is is why our organization is uh, tenant-led. So that means that tenants, you know, there's a steering committee where tenants kind of choose the um, focus of our work. Um, and one of those is, so I guess, first thing I want to say is that we work with rent-stabilized tenants, mostly. Um, So we basically um, help tenants um, in the community start tenant associations um, to fight against tenant harassment, uh, landlord harassment, um, the lack of repairs, um, construction as harassment. So we basically... Um, as as an organizer myself, we provide the resources um, and the tools so that they themselves can take, you know, claim that information and use it to build power in the communities to fight against fight against gentrification, um, and that's through leadership development and getting them involved in citywide campaigns. 
um, such as like right to counsel, which was passed last year, which meant uh, tenants have a new right to a free lawyer when facing an eviction. So how did you get into that? I started organizing um, right after college. I went to Elmira, New York, um, which is like 30 minutes away from Ithaca. Um, and I did organizing there. Um, it was focused on poverty reduction. Um, but one of the things I noticed is that a lot of people in the community don't have the basic needs met. So that could be, you know, housing and healthcare and food access. Um, and so after that, I did organizing in healthcare, um, but it wasn't the work that I wanted to do because it was white men who were, um, you know, making decisions in how the organizing works. Um, so I got this job at Flatbush Tenant Coalition where, you know, everyone is people of color, right? And we're also building power with the tenants that we work with, which is very important because as organizers, um, you know, we're not Jesus, right? <laughs> we're, um, we're here to provide those tools and build the power with the communities that we work with, especially tenants of color. So I have a bit of an assumption question. Do you feel that people of color, young, our age, old, any age at all, but people of color know about the careers you guys have and kind of how to enter them? And if not, what barriers do you think exist that kind of stop our people from getting to the roads that you guys occupy in now? So as a general... Yes, I think young people of color are aware of the career of being a real estate broker. However, I do feel that there are significant barriers to feeling like you can access it. And part of that has to do with the relationship of people of color to real estate brokers. It like If you've ever tried to rent an apartment, which is something that I experience as someone moving from D.C. to New York and seeing broker fee, I was like, broker fee. I don't know what a broker fee is, but I know I don't have money for it. <laughs> so it was something that those apartments were not even an option for me. And I feel like that may be an experience that young black people and pe all people of color may experience as something like, I can't afford that. So I'm not going to investigate it. I'm not going to learn about it. It's just something that is out of my reach. Um, Another barrier is that we're often not in those rooms where conversations about the real estate industry are happening. Uh, conversations about coding changes, housing availability, um, the housing lottery in general, people don't know how to get to those resources. And another barrier is often the skills. To be a successful real estate agent, you do not need to have a college degree but I do believe that you need a greater education than what you'll get beyond high school. Um, being a, a successful real estate broker requires marketing skills, sales, business management, the ability to read financial documents, the ability to produce written communication that looks and feels professional. There are a great number of skills that you can get from community college courses, um, practicing, reading, seeking out, mentors. Mentorship is something that's really big for me as someone who also coaches. Um, seeking out a mentor gives you someone to be a sounding board, someone to be a cheerleader, someone who's going to show you that the thing that you're trying to do is possible. 
that's one of the things that really drew me to Compass was our founder and CEO, Robert Refkin, is a biracial black man. And I, I think it's great that Estefania said that she was seeking out a company that was more aligned with people who look like her and people who are in the community that's, that she's trying to serve. I had that exact same mission. I was previously in a large real estate company that had a great representation of women, but very few people of color. And in terms of senior management, no people of color that I was aware of. And I wanted to be working under someone who looks like me and is achieving the things that I'm looking to create in my business. That's really good. I'm glad you touched upon that a bit, especially um, one thing I think a lot of people forget is that through a lot of diversity initiatives, white women have been the number one um, recipients of all diversity efforts happening in our country since like what the fifties um, is, or I might be off on the date, but pretty much um, every diversity effort, white women benefit tons from it, which women, yeah, women, white women should be, you know, help to get into areas they weren't originally in. But I think a lot of times they forget everyone else. Everyone else gets forgotten when diversity initiatives are like, oh, well, we have women now. And it's like, okay, cool. That's only one part of diversity. There's so many other forms <laughs> that yeah, are absolutely. forgotten. Um, and people are more than one thing. <laughs> but I think it's pretty cool um, that you are in a space like Compass that really walks what they preach. Um, so, Estefania, um, do you feel that our people know about what you do? And if not, what barriers do you believe lead to that kind of invisibility? I didn't know, like, there was, like, housing organizing, really. Um, like, before I wanted to do organizing, I wanted to do storytelling, like, to basically amplify voices of people of color, people who are marginalized, um, and finding creative ways how to do that. But I've noticed that from that um I, I was applying to these jobs and I have friends that applied to those jobs that they didn't get it. And then I just a little side thing. I went to this training on um, diversity um, and I noticed that a lot of the women who had the jobs that I wanted, who were also my age, um, were doing these di diversity storytelling projects and they were not women of color. So it was kind of frustrating to see, oh, like, you know, like me and my other coworkers, like, oh, we want to do that. But we saw that it was mostly women, uh, white women. Um, and for me, you know, with the organizing, you know, I wanted to do something. I wanted to incorporate that storytelling with the organizing. So which is why I started organizing in different organizations till I found one that, you know, like you, you were mentioning, one that represents, um, actually represents the communities that you're working for. But it's, I think, a barrier in the organizing is that you don't get paid well. Um, which is a real reality. Um, and usually people on, on, you know, at the top, you know, management get paid double or triple what you make. But the organizers, you know, like I didn't come from a wealthy family, you know, and my parents actually lost their, their apartment, you know. And but I still wanted to do this because I felt like it was important work and um, I wanted to build power um, amongst, you know, the communities um, of color. Um, but that is, I, for me, I think that's a barrier. A lot of organizers would connect to that, that the money is just not enough. Thank you for sharing yeah. um, that. And I definitely believe as someone mm -hmm. in the fundraising industry, I apologize for my people because, you know, we 
bring in the money and then keep it and don't distribute it properly or speak up for others that deserve the money and, and the work you guys do the work we're trying to fund. So that kind of needs to be switched. But that's another episode for another time. But <laughs> um, you kind of mentioned a bit about how, that barrier of not being paid well enough. Are there other areas, are there, as a person of color in your work, do you feel supported and if not, in what ways do you not feel supported? So one of the ways you said, like, there's a barrier in terms of compensation for organizers. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to just let you guys take the floor on that <laughs> question. At Compass, I feel immensely supported. It The company's core values encourage diversity, invite difficult conversations that in other places I know would not have been possible because they would have been deemed unsafe. And they are unsafe because people will be uncomfortable but because of the flatter structure of our hierarchy, there's a ton of access to senior management and people who can really affect change in a at, at a level that is completely steering the organization. That access gives us the ability to create new things. Um, recently, I partnered with another Compass agent to establish a group called Agents of Color that is specifically in support of black agents to create community training, business and leadership development workshops. Um, we had our first event last month and we had a panel discussion amongst five successful black agents um, sharing their best practices, their stories, their challenges, and bringing people together in a way that's never been done before, probably across the entire industry. We've had conversations with people in the past about it and it's always been deemed unsafe. Like are we going to get in trouble for creating this exclusively black environment and so to speak, excluding other agents and no, like there is a purpose and a power in bringing people of like backgrounds together to see each other's greatness and encourage each other and to network, to utilize each other's experiences and resources to grow our own. Um, yeah. Compass is really changing the way that business is done in the real estate industry and that that's even reflected in the staff there are people of all genders ethnic backgrounds cultures nationalities you can see it all on every single floor of compass headquarters and we have brought it up to them that senior management lacks that diversity um as you mentioned, we do have our token female. Um, <laughs> she's wonderful. And even she, as a French national, has pointed out that we need more diversity. And it needs to extend beyond just the male-female aspect of it. So, yeah, I feel immensely supported at Compass. And I'm looking forward to supporting them as well. Amazing. And I, Lord, do I know about those caucus meetings? They're so <laughs> needed. You you can lose your mind. I don't think people understand when you literally are not the only one. You're the only one in a space. You kind of have to feel normal sometimes. You feel so abnormal all the time, um, whether you want to or not naturally. And it's just so reassuring and replenishing to just be around folks who are similar to you and can just share information. So, you know, go on with the secret caucus meetings, everyone. If you have them at work, please continue. It's helpful. Um, Estefania, um, how about you? Do you feel supported in your work? And if you are, in what ways? And if you are not, can you explain what you're in need of? Mm -hmm. I do feel supported. And this is why I keep, 
you know, working here because I really, um, they really care about your mental health. And like with organizing, um, you know, like all of us are, are people of color. We all have different experiences and backgrounds. And we, in a way, have an experience of housing, right? And um, to know that our boss, right, is willing to work with us. Like if we're having, because, um, you know, it's this work is depressing and, and it's it's very hard, especially when you bring it to work and you have to go home and deal with that too. And so they, she actually supports you, um, you know, and if you need a mental health day to take a break, you know, she allows you to do that. And if you're feeling frustrated, she creates a space where you're willing to sh- share your concerns and she's open about it. Um, and I think also like with the work, like when we're doing campaign work, um, she ensures that we all have an input in the work that we do. And I think that's very important. And I think even in the tenant organizing work, there isn't that many people who um, have that kind of space. And so I'm very thankful that I do have it with Flatbush Tenant Coalition. Thank you. <clears throat> I think from some of the information I shared before and kind of here, um, a lot of people of color understand the experience, whether from um, whether you are lower class to upper class, um, the lack of visibility, the barriers in terms of housing. I know for myself, when I remember I was, when I was growing up, we moved from um, New Rochelle, a lot of information, New Rochelle to Freeport, New York. Um, and I remember my parents, We I come from a middle class background and both my parents are work were, are working, and I remember when we were looking for homes because we weren't familiar with Long Island. My dad was, but the rest of us weren't. We were from Westchester originally, and I remember there was we couldn't go into certain neighborhoods. The, and this is after two thousand two thousand and one. We couldn't go into certain neighborhoods. Um, they would tell us that they you know they wouldn't show homes that we knew were open or available, we had specific agents that wouldn't try to help us. And then there was a point in which my parents, I remember they told me, and they, and I don't even know if they completely, I don't know how much they understood it at the time. It, they just knew that it was a barrier. But they said, we can't bring you guys anymore. And I couldn't understand. I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm like, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was the most intelligent child, but I was like, don't people want, Fam- I remember in TV they show families look for homes and that's the thing. So, but apparently having three little bl- three black boys is not something that's appealing for, you know, it just it lowers your chance of getting a home. So my parents ended up even though they had the money to live in certain areas, they couldn't live in those areas. So they we ended up in Freeport, which is an amazing neighborhood and has a great community of people of color, but we had to go there because we were discriminated in all these other spaces and this is after 2001 that's and this is middle class so i can't even i can only sympathize because i didn't live that experience but i can't i can only sympathize with those who don't have the resources that my family had and they're pushed out of spaces or they are not shown things or they're or they're just literally mistreated by their landlords um so in what ways in that reality, which affects tons of people of color, because I think a lot of people forget that people see your skin and your features first. And people like to forget that. They see that first. They don't they forget all the other things. They see that first. And that affects so much of our lived in experience. So in what ways do you feel that 
you both can support each other's industries because I think that the only way to get to a better point is one, yes, to create more um, representation in both of your fields, but there but a cooperation and we don't necessarily need to have the answer today. Um, I think if that we had the answer, we wouldn't be in the place we're in, but maybe we can just start that conversation. Um, I will, whoever wants to start. I love what you shared about your experience growing up um, as part of a middle-class family, but still being subjected to people's assumptions and judgments just when they first see you and how that's something that you can't, you can't hide it. They're not going to not see it. And the image of three young black boys being dangerous to these neighborhoods. Um, the way that we can work together to shift that is through community networking, mentorship, being generous with your time where you can. Um, and oftentimes it's finding the love where it's available and working with people who are eager to work with you. Um, working with a real estate broker is an immensely intimate relationship. When I work with someone, I'm helping them find the place that they're going to go home to every single day that they're going to raise their family in. It's a place that I want them to feel good about, and that's the connection that I want them to have when they think of me and my services. Um, on a community level, bridging that gap between luxury real estate and affordable housing and community advocacy, taking people under your wing and saying, hey, this is something that you can do without a college degree. It's something that can greatly change your financial outlook on life and what's possible for you. And there are ways that you can give back. There are resources that I may know about, and this is something that I'm sure Estefania is aware of, people not having even knowledge of these resources. Like there are city programs to help people generate the down payment for their first home purchase. Many people don't know about the ability to get $40,000 of money completely with no obligation of repayment. It's public funds that are earmarked for this purpose, but the information is not widely available. You really have to seek it out. So being active in conversations around housing is imperative to changing how we as people of color interact with that structure, which impacts us all. Knowing when the community board meetings are happening and who to speak to about new housing initiatives that are happening in your neighborhood or even the neighborhood that you want to move into is, is very important. And it means shifting our focus in some ways. Uh, there are often so many social entertainment-based conversations that we're a part of and that we make a priority but when it comes to things like housing and voting and local government, we have to start shifting our conversations to that. And that starts with us as individuals. It starts with what you choose to have a conversation about in the presence of younger people, how you choose to show up and making it intentional. There is going to be a challenge. Like As people of color, we are no stranger to challenge. But we have to acknowledge that it is a challenge and rise to it and have the goal of being successful because the barriers aren't going away, but it's one day at a time that we intentionally show up how we want to and encourage each other and support each other. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. And I I do, I have seen, you know, 
tenants who have tried to look for places and they've been, you know, denied because of their color of their skin. Um, and I think, you know, for the organizing side, I think of, um, yes, how can more people who have the opportunity to buy their own home have those resources, right, and connect with people um, that look like them, right, to support them along the way. Um, and I also think of maybe the people that at that moment can buy, you know, real estate, like what can they do? And I think this is where the organizing aspect comes, right? And what, what you mentioned about coming, going to uh, community board meetings, right? Like knowing who's um, your current elected official, right? And making sure that you really push um, for stronger rent loss, right? So that you are allowed to stay in your home, right? Because, you know, at the moment, there's just these weak rent laws that allow landlords to evict tenants, right? And so how can tenants organize, you know, to fight to stay in their homes, right? Um, but also I, what you said, like, how do we transform the sharing of information culture, right? So that different um, groups of people, depending on what income, right, they have to be able to have a home, right? Um, so, yeah, so I, I agree with what a lot of you have to say. um so my one of my final questions will be are there any careers in your sector that we haven't touched upon that um a lot of young people of color should be thinking about going into whether it's a career shift or whether they're in school and they're like what should I do or they're in high school and they're like I don't know what to be I don't know where my skills should go um yeah just name are there some careers that you're like hey we didn't name these but these are in our world and these are the skills that you need to be in these careers um and these are kind of like hidden careers yeah there are so many professions that the real estate industry feeds because we work with physical property. We work with digital content. If you were looking to get into the real estate business, you could have skills that are creative as a photographer or floor plan designer or home stager or interior designer. Um, if you're interested in the infrastructure of uh, real estate, you can work in construction, architecture, consulting, surveying. There are endless jobs that will connect you to the luxury real estate industry. Uh, just within my own company, we employ software engineers, graphic designers, marketing specialists, really anything that you might ever see property advertised on takes a number of professionals to produce, and we need a greater amount of representation in those spaces. I was recently introduced to a couple a black couple, they are interior designers and their entire design aesthetic is based on the African-American experience. And it's such a unique niche and their work is amazing. They're being featured on HGTV and various national media outlets. And it's wonderful to be in connection with people like that to support each other. It may never come to pass that we work together, but we will become advocates for each other's business spreading the word about what each of us has to offer and lending an ear or a professional opinion where it's needed. You can name drop them if you want to. <laughs> oh, the name of their company is AfroChic. Absolutely check them out online. They're truly stunning work. Thank you, Ryan. And Estefania, are there any careers um, that we haven't talked about that people should consider jumping into? Mm -hmm. So 
well, I think the organizing, right? I think we need more people of color um, organizing, right? Um, and I think you can also incorporate different, you know, different passions that you have as well. And I think as I think as we do organizing and people of color um, feel the need to challenge, you know, that that economic factor, right? Because, you know, it's a barrier, but I think how about we create unions, right, to fight for better um, a better income? I think we we deserve it, right? We um, so I think that's a, that's an option for us to organize, and I think I think we should do it. Um, but another option I think I want to mention is right now, since uh, right to council passed, um, which is what I mentioned earlier, um, there's a need for housing lawyers. There's a there's so many jobs right now that are open um, that are just not being filled because there just isn't enough housing lawyers. And I think a lot of people think, oh, housing, like, you know, they don't they don't think that they, that's something that they could do. But it, but that is an option. And there's a lot of open positions. There's a lot of uh, law schools right now who are working towards uh, you know, having more lawyers be involved, but I think it would be nice to have more housing lawyers who are people of color and who come from those communities and are willing to um, also think about just the importance of working with the community to ensure that, you know, we for the rent stabilized tenants that they fight to stay in their homes. Um, so that's that's another opportunity that's open right now. Thank you. So my final bonus question, <laughs> um, at the top of your mind, what is the number one thing you, because you both are come from completely different um, experiences and works in professions, what is the one thing you, you've learned from each other in this um, session today? Just the number one thing, the first thing that comes to mind. The first thing that comes to mind when I think about what I've learned from from Estefania today is the level of passion that people are willing to bring to their to their job um, to knowingly take on a career that doesn't pay you as much money as it should because you really care about the people that you serve. That's hugely selfless, and it certainly deserves a platform to increase that because human advocacy is always a worthy business, and people should be duly compensated for it. People are overly compensated for terribly simplistic things because they're convenient to those who have money. That shouldn't be true of people who help those who don't. Yeah. And I think, I think just like both of you, like just you, for you, Andre, like creating the space, right. For, for having this conversation and then you um, teaching me that finding ways of how we can work together. Right. Because um, you know, there's organizing for rent stabilized tenants, but there's also organizing for tenants who, you know, want to potentially buy a home, right? And how, you know, we should work with real estate companies, like, you know, if they do want to buy a home, how to connect them, right? Because I personally usually see just real estate companies owned by mostly white people, and they're not a great experience, <laughs> I've heard. And so, you know, how can we bridge the gap um, of showing, you know, people in the community and, you know, throughout New York City and beyond 
what their options are um, in the potential of them owning a home. Um, and if they do, if they can't do that at the moment, right, um, how they can build power in their communities to fight to stay um, because they've lived there for a really long time and they're the ones that brought, you know, the beauty of that community um, and they deserve to stay. Well, thank you both um, for being vulnerable, for sharing and for just giving me, giving me your time, something that is so valuable and you can't get back. So I really appreciate the time we spent today. And I hope that this supports so many people to now have a, a better direction on what they want to do with their lives, professions, and careers. And to maybe bridge more of a conversation on linking the, the real estate industry with the housing movement and tenant movement. Thank you both. Um, we're going to clock out.